to start with a little bit of a story from history about Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of the most famous preachers that ever was. Um, at the age of 22, Charles Haddon Spurgeon had already become the most popular preacher in London. Um, he preached weekly to a crowd of thousands. Uh, in fact, his congregation had outgrown their, um, their church in the New Park Street Chapel, and so uh, there was 1,200 seats there, so Spurgeon uh, leased the Surrey Gardens Music Hall. It was much bigger, about 10,000 seats. And uh, the opening night arrived of the new church. Uh, it was October 19, 1856, a long time ago, a little bit before this church was opened, about 15 years. And the Surrey Garden uh, Music Hall, it was packed with 10,000 people. They were eager to hear the Prince of Pre Preachers, as he was called. Uh, but soon after the service started, uh, a prankster, somebody wanting to make mischief, yelled out, fire, fire. And there was a panic. Uh, and in the ensuing panic, seven people were trampled to death and 30 more were injured. Uh, when Spurgeon, from the front of church, realized what had happened, he passed out. And uh, one news report, paper reported that he died. Other newspapers held him responsible. It was all his fault, they said. Spurgeon was devastated, and he fell into a deep depression, and he wondered if he would ever preach again. And uh, in fact, after two weeks, he did take the pulpit again, uh, although there's quotes about how he felt going into the pulpit that day. Uh, and he went on to have a very successful ministry. Over his lifetime, he preached over 3,600 sermons. They were uh, widely distributed uh, in newspapers. They were translated into other languages. And Spurgeon uh, continues to have an impact on generations of Christian believers. But at that event, um, that tragedy, it became the trigger for Spurgeon for a lifetime of mental anguish and suffering. It never left him. And he died quite young at the age of 57. Uh, he lived with sorrow and suffering and depression despite his deep faith in Christ. And our psalm today intersects with that experience of, of Spurgeon and I suspect an experience that many of us have had as well with sorrow and mental anguish. Um, psalm 13 reminds us that this is not something new. It's not just new for our generation. Um, it's something that God's people have always had to contend with. Um, Spurgeon once said, and I've got this quote in your handouts, uh, the road to sorrow has been well trodden. It's the regular track, uh, the regular sheep track to heaven. And all the flock of God have had to pass along it. Um, so today I want to delve into that space of mental health. And particularly I'm going to talk about depression. Just to see what light the Bible can shine into the darkness. Um, and bear in mind this is the beginning of a conversation. It's not the end. I've only got 20 minutes and I've just spent four of them already. Um, it's a conversation I want us to keep having as a church. Um, now, I also understand that this might raise um, issues and feelings for people. And, um, and so you might actually need to get up and take a little break during the sermon. That's okay. We'll be recorded. You can listen later. But I just want to give you permission if you need to do that. Um, you do what you need to do. Um, but I think uh, keep listening, uh, even if you have to listen later, because this psalm really um, helps us to think rightly about our experience of sorrow. So why don't we pray that God would speak now into our lives and hearts as we open Psalm 13. Our Heavenly Father, the Bible says that you know everything about us. You know our hearts, you know our sorrows. We pray, pray today that you would speak into our lives with words of understanding and words of hope. We pray that you would use this time to make sense of our suffering 
and to equip us as a church family to love and support one another in every season. And we pray for your spirit to be with us now, ministering in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Well, we are in the middle of our summer sermon series, um, uh, making our way through some of the Psalms. And the Psalms are a collection of songs uh, written by God's people, and they make sense of the world. They make sense of people's experience of the world and their experiences with God. Um, I love the Psalms because they don't shy away from the real challenges of life. Um, They record expressions of great joy and, and praise and worship. But they also take us into life's darkest moments um, and the cries of the hearts as God's people call out in desperation. And that's the context for Psalm 13. David cries out to the Lord in restless torment. Uh, Verse 1. How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? How long? Have you ever noticed when things are going badly that time seems to slow down? Have you noticed that? Um, In the first year that Joe and I were married, uh, she um, wound up in hospital, had to undergo a pretty major surgery, and, and then there were complications. And by the time she was ready to come home, it had been 10 days. Um, Some of you have been in the hospital for much longer than that, but it felt like an eternity. Um, And I don't have the patience of a saint. And and we really wondered, spent these 10 days wondering and and worrying and waiting. Uh, We were lucky, I guess, uh, you know, in a few months, Joe was back to full health, but uh, many other people experience health issues that are ongoing and exhausting, and oftentimes they don't have a happy ending like our story had. How long, Lord? I wonder how many people have asked that question across the millennia. Um, When you read the Psalms, I did a little search. Um, I can find at least 21 different times when the psalmists have cried out, how long, Lord? Literally those words, how long? How long will the suffering go on for? How, How long will we have to wait? How long until you answer our prayers? How long until this is over? How long until rescue? In Psalm 13, David begins with that same question. How long will the suffering last? He asks God. Um, by the way, we don't know the specific cause of David's suffering in this psalm. Um, it doesn't tell us. But we do get an insight into David's experience of suffering. Uh, and there are three kind of reasons or three areas that David's suffering focuses on in the first two verses. Um, his suffering focuses on God and then on himself and then on his enemies. I'm going to talk about each of those. So have a look at verse 1 again with me. How long, Lord... Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? In his suffering, David feels like God has forgotten him. It's like God is deliberately hiding his face or or turning his face away, deliberately ignoring him. Twice he asks, how long will God be absent during this period of suffering? This is essentially an accusation against God, isn't it? He's saying, God, you're not here for me. You're not here. He accuses God of abandoning him in his time of need. And it feels like dangerous territory, doesn't it, accusing God? But actually, this prayer shows us that David's relationship with God is it's not this polite and formal and impersonal relationship. David trusts God with, with the deepest cry of his heart, this impassioned plea. He's confident that God will not judge. Pastor Tim Keller writes about this verse. He says, 
it's almost a howl. It's almost a howl of, God, of David's heart. And the fact that this is included in the Bible, it tells us that God wants to hear our genuine feelings, even if they're anger at him. And that's our first big takeout for today. When things are difficult, keep crying out to God, even if it's in anger. The Psalms give us permission to do that. They even give us a language to use when we can't describe what's going on inside of us. When our thoughts seem unutterable and unmentionable and unconscionable, we actually find those thoughts often written down for us in the Psalms and in the voice of the psalmists. I've put some book covers on the back of your handout today. Um, I've got a couple of dog-eared copies of the books up the front here. Um, The first book I wanted to mention is Paul David Tripp's book, Suffering. Um, I think this is an excellent book that anybody could read. Um, It's a very easy read. It's wonderful. It's pastoral. Um, Tripp writes as somebody who's recently experienced his own life-changing health crisis. And uh, so the book is not this abstract or academic work about suffering. Um, It's a very real for Tripp, the author, who's a renowned pastor. And he writes about the way that the Psalms give voice to our suffering. I've got a bit of a long quote, so listen along. I think this is fantastic. He says, Suffering is real, and its physical, spiritual, and relational effects are real. We should all take comfort in the fact that the Bible never treats suffering as anything but a real, significant, and often life-changing human experience. The content of the Bible is again and again punctuated with stories of suffering. The scripture records the real travail of people, disease, rape, weakness, murder, corrupt government, racism, famine, domestic violence, injustice, war, torture, betrayal, poverty, and death are some of the things that the Bible presents as the real suffering of real people. And he goes on, he says, not only does the scripture record the history of sufferers, But a large portion of scripture is dedicated to giving voice to their cries. I've always thought that the Psalms are in the Bible to keep us honest about the messy nature of faith in this broken world. In a real way, the Psalms record the emotional and spiritual drama of everyone who has ever suffered. Isn't that a fantastic quote? The rest of the book is like that. I really think you should buy this one. So that's the first big idea. Keep crying out to God, just like the Psalms teach us to do. And then the second big idea comes in verse 2, when David describes his experience of a very personal suffering in verse 2. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? A few years ago, I met up with my triathlon team to take a a long bicycle ride. It was one of those training rides, a a 50-mile ride through the national park, of one of the national parks in Sydney. Um, Spectacular ocean views. Um, and deep hills (laughs) up and down. And uh, it was a pretty regular thing for us to do. Anyway, we get on the bike, and uh, about 10 miles into the ride, one of my friends was visibly struggling. And I pulled up alongside him, and with tears in his eyes, he said, I can't stop crying, and I just don't know why. Uh, This guy was handsome, he was athletic, he was successful in business, he has a great wife and kids, he was a much better triathlete, triathlete than I am. And, um, but on that day, his depression told him that none of that mattered. He was at the bottom of a very deep hole. And uh, it wasn't the only time that I saw him like that. Depression is a common but serious mood disorder. 
um, sometimes called major depressive uh, disorder or clinical depression, it, it's a, it causes severe symptoms that affect how you feel uh, and how you think and how you handle daily activities like sleeping and eating and working. It's disruptive. Um, depression, uh, according to statistics, it affects about 8% of American adults each year. And uh, the numbers for those who are under 25 are actually much higher than 8%, somewhere around the 20 to 25% mark. And, and I think Psalm 13 gives us a little insight into the lived experience of somebody who has depression. In verse 2, David asks, how long is he going to have to wrestle with these thoughts that keep revolving around and around in his head? And how long will the sorrow remain, this sadness, which is his daily companion? Um, there is no one quintessential experience of depression, but this psalm seems to capture the idea of prolonged mental anguish and sorrow. Um, and when we read the Old Testament, we actually see that depression is nothing new. Um, we see signs of depression in King Saul and in the prophets Jeremiah and Jonah and Elijah and Job and, of course, David, who wrote our psalm. And uh, I was interested to find out that Abraham Lincoln suffered with depression too. He at uh, one stage, thought he couldn't go on. Um, I don't have time, uh, the time today or the expertise to speak um, too deeply about depression, but if you want to have something a bit more clinical than um, the David Tripp book, um, I can recommend Ed Welsh's um, Depression, Looking Up from the Stubborn Darkness. And so the book there is there for you too. Um, Ed Welsh, he's a licensed psychologist who's been in practice for 30 years, um, but his specialty is biblical counselling. And uh, he's part of a, a college called the Christian Center for Education and F something, Foundation, CCEF. They have a fantastic certificate and master's course in biblical counseling. Um, a great course. But what I love about this book is that um, Welsh sort of sits biblical wisdom alongside the best of clinical practice. And he doesn't jump to quick and easy solutions. He doesn't say, just you can pray your depression away. He doesn't say simple things like that. Because depression doesn't work that way. Um, but he does suggest ways forward, both spiritually and mentally, um, strategies that you can put in place, um, usually with the help of a professional. Um, my favorite chapter in this, though, is a chapter that's written for families and friends of those who are suffering uh, and experiencing depression. Um, and there are a couple of little insights that, that I found really helpful. Um, they help me examine myself in the way that I interact with people who uh, are experiencing depression um, I find it very hard to have empathy for something that I haven't experienced personally. And, um, and the other thing is I find it can be really hard to be patient when depression lasts days and weeks and months. Um, it's very hard. But um, what Psalm 13 tells us, that it, it tells us that that's what depression is like. It often lasts for weeks and months, persistent mental anguish and sorrow. Um, and so that brings me to a sensitive topic, um, but it's one that's important to talk about, um, which is suicide. Um, if you buy Ed Welsh's book, um, you'll see that he has a chapter about um, suicidal thoughts, or that talks about that. And, and Zach Eswin, the, the blue cover, uh, he also has an excellent chapter in his book. And rather than stay quiet on the subject, they actually acknowledge that these feelings of wanting to die, they sometimes and often accompany major depression. Um, speaking frankly about suicide can be pretty confronting um, for the person who's not uh, used to that question, but mental health workers probably would ask a dozen times a day, have you had, uh, have you had any thoughts of self-harm? 
At the end of verse 2 um, in our psalm, David asks, How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I've overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. Um, David could have been talking about a physical enemy, but he had plenty of those. But, but some commentators suggest that the enemy might be death. I, I wonder if it might be depression. See, David asks, how long will his enemy triumph over him? He cries out to God for answer, for, for God to turn his face towards him and to restore his watchful gaze over David's life. Um, think of Aaron's blessing where it said, um, God, turn his face towards you, make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. David feels like that's absent. He asks God to give light to his eyes, to, uh, to shine some hope in the darkness, to give his eyes something positive to look at. Otherwise, David worries that he might not be able to take it for much longer. How long is a question that my triathlon friend asked a lot. How long do I have to feel this way? If you're in that dark place today, can I encourage you to talk to somebody about it? Talk to a loved one. Talk to a professional. You can come and talk to me about it. And if you don't want to talk to me, I can help you find somebody else. Because help is available. And, and this psalm, it doesn't end at verse 4. Thank God. It goes on to give a testimony of David's hope in the midst of darkness. And that's our final idea for today, uh, remembering the good. Uh, I told you that my triathlon friend was a much better athlete than me. Um, he would often invite me out for a training run or we'd run up the sand dunes near our house. Um, uh, when we're on the bicycle, he was so much faster than me and we'd ride up these big hills and um, he would unclip one foot and he'd just pedal one-legged. He'd ride up and then ride back to me as I'm like, <laughs> I was pushing away. And then he'd ask me deep theological questions. I'd be like, I've got to ask you the questions. I'm like, he wanted to take my, uh, he wanted to take my, Mind off the pain, I think. Uh, one of the reasons my friend, though, the reason why he did the exercise was he knew that it was good for his mental health. Um, he knew that it helped, and so he would train even when he didn't feel like it. And, uh, and I think David does that in our psalm today. In the middle of his mental anguish, uh, anguish, David does what he knows is good for him. He remembers the goodness of God, and he holds on to the promises and reminds himself of what's true, even if he doesn't feel it. Verse 5, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. David reminds himself of God's unfailing love, his hesed, um, God's promise that he made to his people to show kindness towards them. When it feels like God isn't listening or that God has turned his face away, it simply is not true. God has made a covenant with his people. That's what that word means. He's made an unbreakable promise to us to be for us, to be with us. He says in Romans 8 that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not life, nor death, not angels, nor demons, not, not anything in the world, not depression, not suicidal thoughts. None of those things can put you outside the realm of God's perfect care for you. His hesed love is unfailing even when we sin. I think that's what Laura's song was about too. David knows that God will save him even when it doesn't feel like it. There was a worship song that was popular a few years ago called Waymaker. Um, and it has a line in the bridge. Um, the bridge part of those songs is where there's repetitions. I know not everybody likes the repetitions, but I'm going to tell you why they're there. Um, this line in the bridge, it says, 
Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. And um, you, you go to church and you sing this song and, and that bridge comes up three or four or five or six times. It depends on how the band is feeling. As you sing those words, it reminds you. It reminds you, even when you don't feel like singing it, it reminds you what is true. We need teaching. We're slow to learn. And sometimes just stopping, breaking the cycle and remembering is important. And uh, Christ is still working to bring us salvation. God is still working in Jesus Christ, even when the world feels like it's falling apart. And sometimes we just need to be reminded. Sometimes we just need to sing the Lord's praise, like it says in verse 6 of the psalm. Because God has been good to us, and we need to keep that truth close. Uh, It may not make the depression disappear. Psalm 13 is not a magic cure for for, for, uh, curing depression. It's not a magic formula or a magic spell, but but it might make it easier to endure. And it might help you to remember that you're not alone in your suffering. You see, Jesus knew what it was like to experience overwhelming sorrow, even to the point of death in the Garden of Gethsemane. He faced the taunts of his enemies who wanted him dead. On the cross, he experienced the abandonment of God. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he faced death alone and in pain. And yet in all of this, Jesus trusted in the unfailing goodness of God and his promise that he would not sleep in death forever. And the light of the world rose to life again three days later. And now he shines hope into the darkest corners of our souls. He promises life forever in a kingdom where the enemy will no longer triumph, where death and darkness have no more place and death is gone. That's something to hold on to, isn't it? Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, will you speak into our hearts now? Will you bring your comfort to those who are suffering? For those of us who are family members and friends, Father, will you give us great compassion and patience? May we share the love of Christ. And may those who are in anguish Know the great promise of your goodness. You have been good to us and you will continue to be good to us. Heavenly Father, keep us in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ until the day that you call us home or that we come to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.